Romans 12, verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Living sacrifices, that's, that's the picture. On the weekends of our study week, and uh, especially during the vacation week where we ended our time away, uh, we had some very good time with family in, in Michigan. And if you'll, you'll permit me here, uh, this is in Allegan. We stayed there the first two weekends. That's my mom feeding the birds with Sophia and Adriana. They live on a little lake, so it's a wonderful place uh, to visit. That's me fishing. You notice there's not a picture of a fish. (laughs) These guys did really well. This is Sophia and two of her cousins on Sarah's side, uh, Joshua on the end and in the middle, Isaac. This is a new baby cousin on Sarah's side, Eli, two or three weeks old. You might know the guy here. Oh, my little thing. You see the guy in the far right? He's right there. They're all his grandkids. So we got a a nice photo in, and I know he's praising God for that, and we all are. This is a little harder. Um, You can see our whole family there. This is Sarah's grandma. She's been in hospice care for six-plus months and um, has been, we saw her the last few days, has been unresponsive. Um, so, humanly speaking, we're expecting the Lord to call her home very soon. Wonderful woman of God, precious saint, um, ready to meet her Savior. The woman in the middle, a lot of you know, the very first night, so this is Pat Coning, for those who don't know, the Wife of the longtime, our longtime senior pastor, Lee Koning. Uh, the very first night we got into Michigan, and I was checking into the Prince Center at Calvin College and Seminary, where I'd be studying from. Uh, kind of last minute, the day of, we were talking with her, and this is a hospitable woman, and, and she and Pastor Koning were very hospitable. She had us all over. We, had, we were just going to like get pizza or something that first night in Michigan, but she said, come on over, and a feast, and just wonderful conversations about God's faithfulness to her since the Lord took Reverend Koning home uh, from cancer a couple of years ago, and, and how God has sustained her. I did do studying during the week. That was my spot. Another highlight and an unexpected one was Sarah and I uh, getting tickets from a good friend of hers who's a mentor mom in our mom-to-mom ministry, lives in Elmhurst, does not attend our church. She attends Willow Creek, and she had a couple extra tickets for the Global Leadership Summit that Willow Creek does every year. We weren't planning on going, but then I said, hey, I get two days to spend with my dear wife and maybe learn something, I'm taking it. And it's really hard to get seats in the main auditorium. In fact, for next year, within 15 minutes, every $299 seat was sold out a couple days ago for that. So 
yeah, that's a, that's a bit of, of what we did. Um, during those, the study time, I did planning and research for upcoming sermons, and I also read on a variety of topics like prayer, like preaching, uh, the church and its mission. And one book I read was called Zeal Without Burnout, and I think we have it up there. Um, Sarah read it too. We had some very good discussions about it. It's ironic, it's Zeal Without Burnout, and the author's name is Christopher Ash. I, some, another pastor pointed that out to me. We talked about this particular topic uh, with a number of folks in our time of study. It shares something I've heard elsewhere, and that's that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month, which is hard to imagine that. Uh, But apparently there are a lot of pastors out there. But these statistics, I've heard them many times. 1,500 people leave pastoral ministry every month, largely due to burnout. One-third of pastors say they feel burned out after only five years in. This is a real problem. And as a pastor, I want to be vigilant and, and, and aware of the dangers. You know, the Bible says even if we're standing strong, watch out lest you fall. And that's how I kind of feel about this one. I don't want to be one of those pastors that burns out. I don't want to limp to the finish line as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. I want to be as strong as I can. But, you know, then I thought this idea of burnout is certainly not just about pastors. It's certainly not just about pastors. The message of the book is for all of us. Because I think of all of us, I think of passionate Christians, busy in the home, busy at work, busy with families, many raising children, Christians serving hard and well right here in this church as elders and, and deacons and ministry leaders and musicians. With great zeal, can come burnout. We can overdo it. If you don't watch yourself, you can flame out. And this is where that idea of being a living sacrifice from Romans 12.1 comes in and gives us guidance, I believe. Chapter 12, we actually, in the last year, in the evenings, have been doing a study of, of Romans, the whole book. We've only gone through chapter 11, so you guys know everything about Romans up to 11, but we're not up to 12 yet, so you probably don't know this. Romans 12 is a big turning point in this great book. In the first chapters, we learn about our sin, and it tells us that at the root of all our problems in the world between people, and even more than that, the what causes us a separation and distance from our Heavenly Father is sin. And then the book comes in with the solution to sin, praise God, and it's salvation in Jesus. And the solution to our problems is not anything we could ever do, but it takes God doing something, sending his son to die on the cross for our sins, rising again to give us new life so that by God's grace, All who call on the name of the Lord can be saved. Romans, as it culminates there in the center of the book about our salvation, reveals the big difference between our faith and 
all the other faiths in the world, and we were reminded of this actually at the conference a couple days ago, there's a very simple difference. Every other religion you can summarize with the word do. Do this, do that, and people are running themselves ragged trying to do what it takes to have a happy life, to be saved. Our faith is different. Done is the word. It's done. Jesus has done the work, and we rest in that rather than driving ourselves crazy trying to do to get to heaven. After telling us all that, the good news are after all that good news, our verse says, if you remember, therefore. It says, therefore. And that tells you there's something next yet. After all this, we don't stop. Well, what is the next? We're living sacrifices. What's next? Service. What's next? Living for the Lord. What's next? Our thankful and passionate response in all our living for the done of our Savior. Sacrificial living is our calling. But if we burn out, we can't do that. Then we're no longer a living sacrifice. Then we become a dead sacrifice. A friend of Sarah's who's a pastor's wife once put it this way, and it's really stuck with us. We're called to be a living sacrifice in our lives, not a burnt offering. You're not called to be a burnt offering. Living sacrifice. And it's something for each one of us to consider. I I want it for myself. I want it for each one of you that that no one ends up a burnt offering. And, And no doubt some of you have in your life. You gave it your all, but then you crashed. You went down. You hit a brick wall. You burned out. God doesn't want that for us. He's called us to be living sacrifices. I want to share some practices that, biblically speaking, ought to be in our lives in order for us to be living sacrifices and not burn offerings. There are certain things that tend to be missing in someone's life that are going to make them more likely to burn out. This is true for pastors. It's true for volunteers in the church. It's true for you and your job and your life day by day, any Christian, no matter what you do. First, a foundational idea before we get to the four, and that is uh, we got to get that we are dust. It sounds kind of a, a low thing to say about ourselves, but the Bible tells us that, and it, it does it for a reason. It's telling us we are not God. We are not all-powerful. Psalm 103.14 says, God knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. And we've got to realize that and live out the fact that we are not invincible. We have limits. That's what that means. When I, when I first started ministry, I didn't think that taking time away was so very important. I thought a dedicated pastor should just be at it all the time, 24-7, 52 weeks a year. That's what dedication is. Then, then I learned that that's not what it's about. That's not wise. As I heard more and more 
stories of, of pastors who had to leave the ministry due to burnout. I learned things from great mentors like Reverend Coning, God put in my life. We're dust, and, and we, need, we, need to know, we need to know who we are, not pretend we're invincible, that we're something else. And knowing who we are gets us on the path of, of true humility, and that, that's the posture we need in life. D.L. Moody once said, be humble or you'll stumble. Very simple, very true. Of four implications of this fact that I want to share with you that we are dust, four ways God uses to keep us going as living sacrifices. Number one, we need sleep. This is a need we have that the Bible makes a point of saying God does not have. Psalm 121, a beautiful psalm, it tells us God neither slumbers nor sleeps, and that's a wonderful assurance to us. Some of us need less sleep than others, but we all need sleep. You ever have it that, that you're, you're well-rested one day, and you're like, I can conquer the world, I can do anything, but one little restless night or sleepless night later, the next day, we're a, we can be a total wreck. That quickly it can change. Psalm 127.2 talks about our sleep when it says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for God grants sleep to those he loves. There's a rebuke in that verse for any of us who are not getting enough sleep because we are anxiously working. Instead, we work hard and then we go to bed trusting in the Lord. We sleep because we know the great project of the kingdom of God and the growth of the church and kingdom values, that's his project in the end. It's not ours. It's not on us. It's on God. We contribute. We work. In fact, the Bible promotes hard work. But if we work to the point of exhaustion, is there maybe a problem of trust in our lives? There are times when we need to work late or get up early to get things done. But if that's a regular pattern in our life, if we're always burning the candle at both ends, as they say. And we've got a problem. We do our part in the church, in our callings, in the world, in our jobs. We're dedicated as Christians to work and service. And then we go to bed, we clear our minds, knowing we have someone else who's up all night, who bears the burden of the ultimate responsibility. We need sleep. It's a reminder that God is God. You are not. It's a reminder that it's all in his great hand, not ours. Second, we need Sabbath. It's the Old Testament word for rest, and it refers to something very specific, a God-created pattern from the beginning of creation for human beings to have one day out of seven for rest. Sabbath rest is something so important. It's in one of the Ten Commandments. We ignore this to our peril. In the past few years, we've noticed all kinds 
of possible activities and events that have been added to Sundays. It's like we woke up one day and thought, hey, we've got this whole extra day in the week that's wide open. Our lives are getting so busy. Let's use this day that we didn't realize was here. Let's use it. So we do sports. We run our errands. We do our shopping. We do our housework and our yard. We even do what was unthinkable for Christians not that long ago. We miss worship for these extra events that never should have ended up on Sunday in our lives anyway. And the result is our homes are running ragged because we have no Sabbath. There is no day of rest. Sunday is fun day. Sunday is another Saturday. It's a day of activities. What's tough is because there are judgment calls here. We're doing stuff that in itself is not bad. But if even good things start controlling us, instead of the other way around where we're in command of them, of our schedule, then that's when good things become bad in our lives. It's a sign they're controlling us if it's causing us to miss worship and if it's making us come to worship exhausted. We've got to preserve a Sabbath, my friends. We're killing ourselves. We're killing ourselves. God designed us to have one day in seven to rest. We've got to have a day to rest, to worship, maybe spend some good time with family and friends, use it more for hospitality with fellow church members beyond worship and restful events and fellowship. We need to be very careful. Historically, the church has talked about works of necessity on Sunday, firefighters and policemen and healthcare professionals, pastors, of course. But under normal circumstances, we should be free from work to rest and and free from the other busyness that's for Monday through Saturday. My family and I find that Faith's Sunday evening worship service is a brilliant way to take a Sabbath. Now, some of you have programmed yourself to tune out any talk of evening worship. Your Sundays are set, thank you. But please listen to me. I want you to hear this. If you're committed to Sunday evening worship, to starting the day and ending it in worship, that is a very good discipline to help you truly have a Sabbath. The reason is because it seriously limits the activities. You know, it sounds like, oh, but I'm adding another hour in my week. But what that does is it seriously limits the amount of activities you can do if you're committed to being back here at 6 p.m. for worship. Working and, and, and starting to get into your work on Sunday afternoons with the emails and all that, running around doing all your shopping for the week, sporting events, they all become very tough to do when you're committed to coming back in the evening for worship. It forces you, as hard as it may be, to keep those things on Monday through Saturday. I'm not saying you have to go to evening worship in order to have a Sabbath day in your life. You can have Sunday morning worship and preserve the rest of the day for rest with family and friends maybe, with church family, with any number of activities that are truly restful for you. It's entirely possible to do it. Any number of Christians, I'm sure, are doing. But what I'm saying is Sunday evening worship helps tremendously. 
to have a Sabbath. I'm thankful for it for my family. Being committed to Sunday evening worship is one of the things, one of the very, one of the, I don't know, maybe the, one of the most important things that prevents our lives from being totally out of control. We got a five-year-old up to a 16-year-old, all involved in many activities. It's not like I don't know what I'm talking about in terms of busyness. Being here Sunday nights helps us keep it sane. The point is, the bigger point is we need a Sabbath. And I would highlight that it's a Sabbath day, not a Sabbath couple hours, not a Sabbath morning. You can't sustain it unless you find a way to have a Sabbath day. Third, we need friends. In order to have a healthy, productive life on this earth for the Lord, we need others. The Christianese word is fellowship. It's probably not a big surprise that some guys tend to struggle with this. Maybe you've heard a guy say, I don't need any friends. You know what? He is absolutely wrong. That is false. If, a guy, if you heard a guy say that, you need to call him out on that. That is wrong. In Genesis 2.18, when God says it's not good for human beings to be alone, we think right away of sexual intimacy because he's talking about Eve. So, but that's sexual intimacy, that is not the answer to human loneliness. That's not going to solve that. The verse is talking about through the creation of the first man and the first woman, then the procreation of the human race started in which human fellowship and friendship is a necessary part of the good created order. Whether married or not, we're created to be together with others. 1 Samuel 23, 16, uh, we read about David and Jonathan's friendship. Uh, Once when David was in trouble, Jonathan went to meet him, and what did he do? He helped him find strength in God. That is a priceless friend. That's a precious friend. He helped him find strength in God. We need to develop, we need to sustain and work on Christian friendships. We need people to keep track of us and, and be aware if we're going off the deep end. We're not created to go it alone. Anybody I've ever seen who's tried to do it ends up very poorly. For some guys in particular, it doesn't seem to come naturally. If that's true for you, got to be intentional. And, you know, too, if you, if you need a friend, we got all kinds of friend material right here at Faith Church, all kinds. You know, maybe you're newer here and you feel the fellowship is kind of set, everybody has a friend. Well, even Christians who have many friends, they're always willing to reach out and receive another brother or sister and, and connect with them and invite them into the circle of friendship and spiritual growth and help them connect with others. If, there are all kinds of friends here. If you need a friend and you're struggling, you come right talk to me. Talk to Sarah, my wife. We will help you figure something out. I promise. We need friends. You can have friends right here. They don't have to be at Faith Church, of course. Fourth, we need inward renewal. It's the inward renewal of the Holy Spirit. We need food. We need drink to stay healthy physically. And we got patterns and disciplines for that. 
most of us hopefully, if we don't, it goes poorly, we're, we're learning more and more how our physical, mental, emotional health, right, it, it's all, all interconnected. Well, all that stuff is also connected to our spiritual life. Our spiritual life and health impacts all the rest of our life too. Inward renewal and health that can come from personal devotional times with the Lord, Bible reading, prayer, thoughtful reflection in God's presence, worship with God's people, of course. We need to have space in our lives for these things. It's not a selfish thing to guard those times and even put them on our calendar, put them in our schedule, the times that you need for inward renewal. So I want to ask you four questions related to these four principles. Number one, am I giving myself enough time for sleep? Two, am I taking care with regular days off? Am I preserving a weekly Sabbath? Three, am I investing in godly friendships? And friends, it's one thing to have friends, but some friends pull us down with their lifestyle. There's a place, there should be a place in all our lives for friends who aren't believers, of course. We should have that. But in particular this morning, the question is, am I investing in Christian friends that build me up in my faith and that I can encourage in faith too? And then fourthly, am I self-aware about how God gives me inward renewal and do I take care to use his means of grace so that I get that renewal that I need. So, what do you think? Are you living a life that will keep you a living offering? Or are you headed toward being a burnt offering? This is living offering, a 10 and 0 burnt offering. Where are you at? What, what number would you put at it? No matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, even if you've become burnt toast at a time in your life, I got to tell you, you can always start fresh in Jesus. No matter how bad or poor your patterns have been, He's ready to forgive. It's never too late. You can begin good patterns today. I want to close with a final thought. You know, sometimes, though I was calling those chapters before the chapter 12 in Romans, the salvation chapter, sometimes. We call them uh, the grace chapters. That it, it's, it's point us to God's grace. And of course, grace is the key for all our living. And in life, we've got the choice to either depend on grace, as this guy puts it in the book, and I thought it was helpful. We got the choice. You can either depend on grace or you can depend on your gifts. The joy that we have in life can come from God's grace or it can come from our gifts. If our joy comes from our gifts, from our talents, from whatever skill we might have, we will always be under intense pressure. If it's all about that, and then you know what? Then as a pastor, I'm only as good as my last sermon. If it's about your gifts, you're only as good as your last well-run meeting. You're only as good as your last successful interaction with your teenager. You're only as good as last quarter's goals achieved. 
And then there's the pressure to keep it up and to keep pushing ourselves harder and harder. We neglect sleep. We neglect days off. We neglect the time for friendship. We neglect our personal spiritual refreshment. And the solution is to find our peace in the grace of our God, not our gifts. It's a great, great privilege and joy to be used by God as a worker in his church. We have so many faithful workers. I know it's fulfilling to you. But it's much greater to be a recipient of grace. It's awesome to be killing it in our job, to make a difference. It's even more awesome to receive grace. Listen to this quote about grace and gifts. Men forget that gifts without grace save no one's soul. But grace, on the other hand, is an everlasting inheritance and lowly and despised as its possessor may be, grace will land him safe in glory. And, and so, let's keep God's grace the main thing. Let's put our trust there, not ourselves. Let's rejoice in him, not our own achievements. It's the glory of his grace that propels us to lifelong sustainable, living sacrifice. And by His grace, we'll work hard and not kill ourselves or burn out. By His grace, we'll cross the finish line at the very end. We'll see our Jesus face to face and He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. By His grace, His kingdom, and even His church here at faith will be built and will thrive. God's grace is what it's about. May you discover that in your own life. May that be what people experience at Faith Church, that we know grace, that every person they come in contact with, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> when people come in, you know, I don't, I don't want them to think that we're so great, that we got it all together. Look how sharply dressed they are. Look at their, their great programs and ministry. We want to have a great church. We want to have excellence. I believe we strive for that. But when, we, when people come in, every single person they see. We want ourselves to have been touched by God's grace. They need to see recipients of God's grace, people who know our need, that we're dust, we're sinners, we can't do it on our own, but praise the Lord, Jesus has come. He's lifted me up off the ash heap, and I'm saved. And that's what we put our trust in. That's the key to lifelong, sustainable sacrifice for Jesus that will make a difference. And I believe that's something, you know, depending on grace, not our gifts. I don't think the world knows anything about that. So that's something very winning that we have to offer to others. 
And may many turn to the Lord, come to trust in grace. If you're not depending on God's grace this morning, I invite you to start today. Put your life in his hands.